0: Hi, I'm Heather Lowry, and I'm reading our scripture today. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 15. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too go out and stand before me on the mountain the Lord told him and as Elijah stood there the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose but the Lord was not in the wind after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God.
1: I love this story out of the life of the prophet Elijah. Um, It comes right after what might be the most famous of all Elijah stories, um, though he has some really good ones. Uh, The chapter before what Heather read to us today, we have this crazy moment uh, where Elijah goes head to head with almost 500 of these prophets of one of the most I don't know, important or famous gods of the Middle East. Uh, The God's name is Baal, and Baal is the God of, like, fertility and fruitfulness and uh, so important. And so these 450 prophets, they are asking, they get in this contest with Elijah, and they're asking Baal to send down fire from heaven, and then Elijah is supposed to do the same thing to God. And so, so that's what they're doing. They're asking Baal to send down fire, and he isn't doing it. Uh, And then in the story, this one man, Elijah, prays uh, to God the Father, uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and he asks him to send down fire from heaven, and God does it. If you haven't read 1 Kings 18, do it this week. It's Completely bonkers. So that's what sets up our our, our time today, the lesson for today. So um, not only does Elijah win the battle in First Kings eighteen, all of the prophets go down, and so Elijah ends up winning the war, so to speak. Uh, the God of angel armies follows him, covers him, sends down fire, and 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 wipes out four hundred and fifty prophets. And so, um, as you can imagine. This goes over terribly, like terribly with the people, uh, the worshipers of Baal, and especially one very powerful worshiper. Uh, Her name is Jezebel. And Jezebel, she's a princess. She is uh, the one responsible not just for the worship of Baal, but also for killing Israelites who refuse to bow down and worship this God of fertility and fruitfulness. And, and so when word gets to Jezebel, when word gets to her about what's happened, um, that Baal did not act, that fire did not come down, and that all of these prophets have been wiped out, this incredible, uh, incredibly powerful woman makes a promise to Elijah. And here's her promise. She says, may your God kill me if I don't kill you in the next 24 hours. May your God kill me if I don't kill you in the next 24 hours. I don't know if you've ever had a bounty on your head uh, by a powerful princess, priestess of a Middle Eastern God. But to me, that sounds terrifying. Uh, And that's exactly what happens for Elijah. He uh, hears this, he hears her promise, and then he does what any of us I think would do. He runs. He runs. He runs far and he runs fast. There's even this point uh, earlier in in chapter 19 where the scriptures tell us that Elijah gets this like speed boost. And and what he does is he when he runs is he runs to a place that he knows. He runs to a home base of sorts for uh, the prophets of Israel. He runs to a place called Mount Sinai. And uh, Mount Sinai is the mountain, we've talked about it a bunch at Springberg, it's the mountain where Moses uh, met God as a man meets a man. It's it's the place where God gave Moses the law, uh, where God followed Moses down in a cloud uh, to, to meet the people of Israel. It's this this massive kind of home-based feeling uh, for the Israelites, and, and that's where Elijah runs. Elijah, the prophet of Israel, he runs to the top of Mount Sinai, and he finds a cave, and he hides there. Hides from Jezebel. And this is where things start to get really good in the story. Elijah, he finds himself in this cave and then God comes to him and he says, Elijah, what are you doing? And I think that's such a curious question uh, from the God of the universe, the all-knowing God. He looks at Elijah and says, what are you doing? And then Elijah responds, uh, just like Heather Redd. He says, basically, like, well, God, here's what I'm doing. I have been working very hard for you. I uh, have been working very hard for the people of Israel, and they are not grateful, and they keep doing very dumb things, and everyone has quit or gotten fired or killed, and now they're trying to kill me. And so that's what I've been doing. Uh I always read it so dramatic, uh sometimes. Uh but, but the truth is I get it. I get Elijah's frustration with the question. I remember when the boys were little and Daniel would come home sometimes and the house looked like a bomb had gone off in it. Uh, we're all wearing the same clothes we were wearing when he left the house in the morning. I think all of us are crying, me included. And it just, it, it's just awful. And Daniel would ask uh, the question that everyone asked in those moments and wished that they did not and, and he would say something like, uh, what'd you guys do all day? And my answer was like, uh, well, Daniel, here's what we've done. I uh, fed your children. I kept your children alive. I washed your clothes. You know, it's like this sassy, dramatic, here's what I've done. Uh, And I feel like that's how I read Elijah's response. I, I, I think what's happening is that he is exhausted. He's exhausted. He's confused. He's worn out. He essentially says, I did what you told me to do and it's gone not well. It's turned out terribly. I read something this week that said Elijah sought comfort in a cave darker and more hollow than what he was feeling on the inside. He sought comfort in a cave darker and more hollow than what he was feeling on the inside. Can you relate to that? Goodness. I, I can't. If you haven't quit something or been ready to give up on something in the last few weeks—your job, or your kids, or your marriage, or your friendships, or whatever—in the last few months, if you haven't wanted to do that, uh, then please call me because the rest of us need uh, your to teach you to teach us your ways. Um, I get the cave. I get why he runs. I get why he hides. And I get why he's like, "What do you think I'm doing?" Uh, I read something this week that I never read before. It was a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, and it was a prayer from January in 1956. Uh, so at this time January 1956 for Dr. King it's two months into the Montgomery bus boycott and things are escalating very quickly and the story goes that one night close to midnight he comes home so late his wife's in bed his child's in bed and he gets a phone call Uh, and and on the other line of the phone call is a death threat and at this point uh, Dr. King and Coretta Coretta Scott King are are getting up to 40 death threats a day and so this is one of 40 probably of the day Um, but after this death threat he He says he sits down at a table, and he prays this prayer, and and I want to read it to you. He says, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I still think I'm right. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now, and I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage, and I'm afraid. I can't let people see me like this, because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and without courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I have come to the point where I can't face it alone. Uh, This prayer from Dr. King, it feels an awful lot like Elijah in the cave. And to be honest, and I hope this is encouraging, it's an awful lot like a lot of prayers from all kinds of people of God uh, since the very beginning of time. So if you found yourself quitting or dissatisfied or wanting to quit and dissatisfied, if you found yourself afraid or stagnant or exhausted or in a cave, you're not alone. People of God have found themselves uh, in caves, so to speak, forever. You're you're not alone. And also, it's not the end of the story. You're not alone, and the cave is not uh, the end of the story. The cave is part of the story, not the end of the story. I want to jump back to Elijah. so. God responds to Elijah's declaration by asking him to come out of the cave. Elijah, Elijah says, "What do you think I've been doing?" and God says, "Come out of the cave, Elijah." And with it comes the promise that God will pass by him. A promise to remind Elijah what he's fighting for and who he's fighting alongside that he that he is not alone, that he hasn't been alone for a single second. And then things get really wild. There's a hurricane, a strong wind, there's an earthquake, and then there's a fire. Elijah, he comes out of the cave to find God, only to get pushed back in by powerful and terrifying things. Uh, Terrifying things, but not unfamiliar things to him. Terrifying and symbolic things. Wind, The same wind that blew the Red Sea apart, letting Israel walk free. The story of his heritage, a howling reminder to Elijah of the God who makes a way where there is no way. An earthquake uh, shaking the stones beneath him, reminding him. It's a picture uh, for Elijah of the rock on which he stands, of the God who keeps him. And I wonder if when the fire came, if Elijah said, oh, oh. I wonder if his mind went back just a matter of days to the fire that fell from heaven and wiped out the prophets of Baal, a reminder of the power of the God who walked alongside him. Three wild and terrifying things in a row and then silence. And that's where God arrives, in the silence. You know how when things are really loud and then they get silent all of a sudden and how that's rarely a good thing. Like if you have a, ma- a basement full of middle schoolers and it's really loud, then it gets really quiet. That's a bad thing. Uh, or how in scary movies, like the scariest part of the movie isn't always uh, super loud. Most often it's when things get really quiet. Science, silence after a great noise. It's eerie and a whole other level of terrifying. Uh, dallas willard he says silence is frightening because it strips us as nothing else does throwing us upon the stark realities of our life silence the reminder often of our own inadequacy our own fear our own lies that we tell ourselves Silence uh, is often for me where I hear the critical and the condemning thoughts in my own head, where uh, I feel my own unworthiness or loneliness. It's, it's where the, the fears of what my life and my children's life might be are so, so loud. Uh, I read this week someone saying silence is a wilderness where I feel most alone. But it's the silence that draws Elijah out of the cave. That's really interesting to me. Uh, It's there in what Jewish Jewish scholars call uh, the moment of thinnest silence that God asks Elijah the same question. It draws him out of the cave and then God asks him the exact same question. Elijah, what are you doing? It's the same question. And then Elijah gives God the same answer. And then the God of the hurricane and the God of the earthquake and the God of the fire and the God of the thinnest silence told Elijah what he had come there for. He says, Elijah, go back go back where you came from. Go back. This is why I love this story so much, because everything is out of control. Uh, Life is out of control, and the weather is out of control, and then God comes in the silence, and in a moment, it's quiet and controlled, and he reminds Elijah what he made him for. In this moment of silence, God allows Elijah to remember his calling and then God sends him back to it. Elijah, he leaves the cave different than how he came to it. That's what happens for us, right? God, I, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope that's what happens for us, especially over the last few months. We will leave this season of COVID different. We will. We will. A visit to the brambles or the desert or the wilderness or the cave, the, the confusing and unsettling places in our lives, they're not an end point for us. They're transitional places. They're part of the story, not the end of the story, places to discover and uncover uh, reminders of who we are, of where we're going, of, of who God has made us to be. Uh, God, he didn't surprise Elijah by intervening in some spectacular way to swipe them out of the cave. Not because he couldn't, he had just done that. Fire from heaven is spectacular, he could have done that. God meets Elijah on each side of the cave with the same question, but it's on this side of the cave that his rescue comes. Not from spectacular intervention, but from reminding Elijah of his spectacular calling. God calls Elijah out of the cave and he says, it's time to get back to work. It's time to get back to what I made you to do. Scary and weird and confusing circumstances, they're all true, but they haven't changed what I called you to do. The story uh, for Martin Luther King Jr. ends in a similar way. On that night, after he prayed the prayer that that I read earlier, Dr. King says um, he was spending a few moments actively trying to find a way out of what he was doing uh, that wouldn't make him look like a coward. And he said in in that process, in that trying to find a way out of it, he heard a voice say, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and I will be with you even until the end of the world. Dr. King says, I heard the voice of Jesus saying to still fight on, and he promised he would never leave me, never leave me alone. And I think some of us might need that same reminder today. A reminder that just because God is able to be in the wind and the fire and the storm doesn't mean that the most uh, true things are in all of the wild distractions that are consuming our world right now. I think some of us need a reminder that we are never, never alone. That on the outside of whatever cave we're in or wish we were in is the God who made us on purpose for purpose. I think some of us need to hear the voice of God saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? The coronavirus it it can strip you of a lot of things, but it does not have the power to strip you of purpose. The uh, world being turned upside down, it's inconvenient and it's often scary and it's so very de- disheartening, uh, but it does not have the power to steal your purpose. This uh, isn't the story of Elijah. It's not a story about never quitting anything. It's a story about how God calls us out of our caves and out of our despair and into something. Uh, that That's how the kingdom works. We are always being called into greater and deeper purpose. And so today for Selah, um, I want to read a blessing to you. It's a blessing and a reading out of Hebrews 12. And and I believe that God gave me these verses back in March uh, to they're verses I've come to over and over and over again, this whole season. Um, I've read them here before during a Ceylon. I just think they're verses for us, verses to remind us of what we're made for, uh, on purpose, for purpose. So I'm gonna read from Hebrews 12. It says this. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire and darkness and gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the countless thousands of angels and joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus who meditates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, We thank you that Uh, the cave is not the end of the story that you desire for us. We thank you that on the other side of what feels dark and hollow is your voice, your silence. And so I just pray uh, that we would be people, um, have the courage to see where we are and the courage to dare to remember who you've asked us to be. I pray that you would give us a new grip for our tired hands, that you would strengthen our weak knees, that you would mark out a straight path for us, that we remember that our residence is not in a whirlwind, it is not in a fire, it is not in, a, in any of those things, that our true residence is with you, that we have come to Jesus, whose blood speaks forgiveness over us. In your name we pray, amen.